Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Well, I tell you what, that was one of the most satisfying Seahawks victories of the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson era, in my humble opinion. Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby, the Game Plan Podcast on a victory Monday after the Seahawks steal one in Charlotte. 30-27 to the final. Seattle improves to 6-5. and five. They have tiebreakers head-to-head over the Green Bay Packers and over the Carolina Panthers. Four of their last five games will be played at home, including a couple in prime time including two games with the 49ers in the last five as well. Things are shaping up quite nicely as we move from November into December for your Seattle Seahawks to make a run at the NFC playoffs, a statement we did not think possible early in the season. Brian Perkins, what a victory in Carolina. I mean, just a huge victory. And the way that that game played out, it's so bizarre, right? And to have Seattle come away with a win on the road, for a Panthers team, by the way, that was desperate for a win after losing two straight, and the you know the way North Turner had that offense rolling, man, what an impressive, impressive effort by Seattle's offense to score on what their final five drives. Yeah. Uh, and wow, I mean, I'm I'm still kind of like trying to unwrap it a little bit and figure out exactly what happened, but two huge wins for Seattle at the end of the month that really vault them into potential playoff positioning, assuming they can take care of business. If you're a good team, you got to find different ways to win football games. And I think this is one of those examples for Seattle where they weren't able to run the ball particularly well. They only averaged 2.7 yards a carry as a team in this game, which is very unlike them. Credit the Carolina defense. Obviously, they're stout up front, and they've got two of the best linebackers in the game. But this was a game that Russell Wilson had to go out and win. And Perkins, he did. 22 for 31, 339 passing yards on the road, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. A QB rating of 128.3. Well, and and Carson said after the game that the Panthers knew when their run plays were coming. They they were calling out the plays when Seattle was lining up in formation. So they... I mean, that's uh, you want to know why the run game pitches, if you will. Yeah, you want to know why the run game was ineffective. There you go, right? And you know, props to not only Wilson for for taking care of business, but Schottenheimer as well for adjusting to that in the second half and definitely became a more pass heavy, pass oriented offense without abandoning the run, mm-hmm. but definitely focused much more on passing the football in the second half, which which they needed to do. If they were going to still continue to try to force the run, they would not have won that football game, without a doubt. Pass protection, I think, deserves a lot of praise in the second half. They only allowed two sacks all game long, and when they needed to pass the ball and get themselves back down the field in scoring position, and a couple of those fourth and threes and the third and five on the final drive to lock it, give Wilson all the credit in the world for buying time in the pocket. It was one of the most beautiful things. But you need big blocks and pass protection from Sweezy and from Brown and from the right side. I mean, they held up when they had to on the road in the fourth quarter. Yeah, the only play I can remember that was really just bad from the offensive line was when Afedi completely missed an edge rusher that resulted in a Wilson sack within like two seconds. Uh, and I can't even remember who sacked him, but Afedi went inside and, and double-teamed Fluker's guy, and it led to a, a pretty easy sack. But you're right, a tremendous effort by them. Man, this game had it all, didn't it? Like, 
two running quarterbacks that that uh, obviously Newton ran a lot more than Wilson, but two quarterbacks that have been playing really well this year. You had the freaking Bobby Wagner Luke Keekley battle, amazing. Which both of those guys were fired up. You could tell to be Keekley playing was playing with some level of emotion. Yeah, he was I all over seen the from place him in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even Wagner though, man, that screenplay where. Yeah. I mean, it was basically Wagner or bust, and Wagner makes the tackle. It was like his eighth tackle of the quarter. They know when they're playing each other. They know the narrative's at stake, the rep's at stake. They know it. Yeah, I mean, those are the two best inside linebackers in the NFL, you know, during this time frame. So, but man, it was that was just a great battle to watch as well. But you're right, props to the O line, uh, and you know, when when Carolina was is able to call out your run plays, I'm not sure what you can do as a blocker in that situation when they know what's coming. So. Great pass pro on for Russell. When you win a game like this, you can point to any number of maybe 10 different plays and be like, well, we had to have that play in order to win this football game. A handful of those, you know, obviously the field goal has to be good for Chanikowski. Gano has to miss his. But even before that, I mean, Carolina has the football first and 10 at the Seahawks 40 and two minutes to go in the football game. And everyone's like, if they don't force a turnover here, the game's over. Yeah, At least that's I mean, what most you, of us are you, thinking. Right. But then what happens? You know, Seattle's defense tightens up a little bit. You get them in a third and eight, and you get the, you know, little over-the-middle drag to DJ Moore, and it's Flowers, who has, one, really good coverage, and two, makes a huge tackle on Moore to keep it fourth and three. If he doesn't make that tackle, not only is it a first down, he's gaining 10 15 more yards, making it a chip shot, game-winning field goal for Graham Gano. That tackle stands out to me. If he doesn't make that tackle, it's not a 53-yard field goal for Gano, and he hits it, we're going home with a loss. Really interesting situation that Carolina was in there because the their first down run on the 40 got nothing. I think maybe a yard. They pass on second down, and Newton has to throw it away because he's under pressure. Yeah, which great which, pressure by Frank Clark. Finally. Right up the middle. Because that game, I mean, look, they did a lot of dink and dunk, quick outs, so it's hard to really blame. I mean, no. you can't establish a pass rush if you know they're getting rid of the ball in, in a second and a half or two seconds. But that being said. He did throw it 30 times. He did, and the pass rush felt non-existent for most of that game. It did not feel like Cam Newton was under a lot of pressure, and Frank Clark whiffed earlier on a play that Newton ended up scrambling for about 20 yards or whatever it was. So it was good to see him redeem himself late in that game and put Newton under pressure and force that throw away, which saves a timeout for Seattle. Yep. And then forces, of course, that third and long, and and we saw what Flowers did there and made that play. So, I mean, you're right. That play really sticks out as one of the big ones. No question. Another one, early third quarter. Newton and the Panthers are driving as they were all game long. And in the red zone, I think they ended up being there five times, but only scored one red zone touchdown. And one of those red zone trips was Newton gearing up and throwing it, just kind of putting some mustard on a ball, really thinking that he could power it in there. Bradley McDougald with great coverage, just picturesque. Almost like Sherman in the NFC title game, right? You mean getting except his... for he made his own interception that time. <laughs> yeah, right. McDougald made his own pick this time. Yeah, he got his left hand up and just, you know, basically intercepted the path of the ball and then tapped it back for himself for the pick in the end zone. That's another play. You don't win that game without that play. If that ends up being a touchdown drive for Carolina, it's a ten point Carolina lead at home in the third quarter. Instead, Seahawks get the big interception. Go back down and take the lead or yeah. tie the game at that point. No, they take the lead on a locket uh, touchdown after that. Yeah. I mean, just a huge, huge play. And and the Panthers had been doing what they wanted all game. You know, 
the fumbles notwithstanding. I mean, McCaffrey was having a career day. The defense could not adjust at all. Norv Turner was, I mean, drew up a brilliant game plan that that set everyone up for success. It was a brilliant balance of running the ball, quarterback keepers, short outs to your to your running back, reverses and, and fake options yeah. like But that. still still some deep balls too to keep and, the defense honest. And they did it all without their number one receiver statistically. Yeah. And yeah. uh Funches was out in this game. And, and Funches they, had had a bad week the previous week, he had a couple drops and you know, Smith was there, but uh, was his name called once in that game? I don't think like, so. I can't even remember if he even saw the field. I mean, it was, a, it was a great game plan by Norv Turner, who, you know, it's so easy to criticize him as a coach and as a head coach at the very least. And we even criticized the move to Carolina because it seemed like he was uh, taking a lot of his family with him and, and nepotism and stuff like that. But the dude can coach offense. That's pretty plain to see. I'll go back and watch that film and just be like, wow, there's like 10 different plays I want to borrow in here. There are two guys in current NFL coaching trees that stick out as you don't want him as your head coach, but you really want him as your coordinator. Wade Phillips <laughs> and North Turner. Those two, for some reason, just have always stuck out to me as like, I would never want a team to hire them as, as a head coach. But as no. a coordinator and having that one specific job and leading that one group, I mean, they're I among the best a, in the league. Yeah, I think they are among the best in the league. Notwithstanding, Wade has got a lot of work to do with the personnel that he has. It does not match the level of production, but historically, yeah, but throughout you're right. his career, yeah, um, I think of Jim Schwartz with Philly. Um, even though that defense is is taking a bit of a drop off, Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator is probably good as a head coach. I can't believe he is a head coach right now. You know, but you're right; those two guys in particular, and uh, North did a really, really solid job. Um, you know, defensively though. They made they came up with a couple of clutch you know stops when they needed them. How about a fourth and two on the first drive of the game, stopping Newton down at the goal line? You think about how big that is now in retrospect. But Perkins, we got to go big picture. This was their worst performance of the season from a four quarter standpoint in terms of yardage allowed. Carolina did anything they wanted in this game, and a lot of it was because of little number twenty two, Christian McCaffrey, who ends up finishing with well over two hundred yards total in this football game. A hundred. And 37 all or no, 237 all purpose yards and two touchdowns for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, unbelievable effort. And you're right. I, I think the one thing I will say about that is the defense has been getting a lot of criticism uh, with their performance. Five fumbles that were all recovered by Carolina. I mean, come on. What are the odds of that ever happening? That's amazing. I, I mean, yeah. if, if Seattle recovers two of those fumbles, the narrative is completely different because the yardage isn't there. On those drives, yes, was Seattle's defense suspect most of the game? Sure, I'll agree with that. But they also made plays. The ball just didn't bounce their way when typically you would see at least one or two of those go your directions. Especially, there were a few there. There was one where Wagner was like on top of the ball, and it just slipped out of his hand. And I'd, I mean, just a couple of baffling non-fumble recoveries that happened, uh, several of them from McCaffrey himself. So, uh, yes, the defense definitely tried to do the we are going to bend like Gumby and don't break. <laughs> and it worked for some of the game. But also, I mean, five fumbles that aren't recovered. I don't know. It just feels a little bit fluky in that regard. It does feel a little fluky. And it shows you, actually, I think the process is starting to work, which is because you're preaching to your defense turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. It was working earlier in the year. Remember, their turnover margin was pretty great the first five or six games of the year. And it seemed to not be the case. Remember, they didn't force any turnovers against the Chargers or the Rams. Uh, and now it feels like they're getting back to it's all about the ball and they're taking the ball away and pretty clearly taking care of the football as well. No picks was big. 
for Russell Wilson in this football game too. But um, holding them at the goal line like they did several times was really important because ultimately you can preach turnovers, but they still are, are relatively arbitrary because they're up to uh, fumbles. Yes, you can make a play, right, like Seattle did multiple times, but if the ball doesn't bounce your way, you're screwed, as we saw. And even the McDougal interception, great play from him. Really bad idea from Newton to make that throw. So it's a little bit arbitrary, which is why, to me, seeing Seattle actually holding the red zone multiple times was more important than than almost that part of the game. Yeah, know. yeah. And, you know, they probably, on a normal game, they come away with one at least of those fumbles moving forward. Um, you know, the last quarter of this football game, and especially the last five minutes, what a bizarre back and forth fourth quarter. And... Once they got the football down 27 to 20, five minutes to go in the game, and they're driving, boy, they're in a tough spot, but they work into plus territory. A couple of really nice play calls. I love the, I don't know what you call it, backdoor tight end screen. It was a second and seven, but they go back over the middle of the field to Vanette, and I can't, I don't even know. I'll have to look at it on film if he's the first read or the second read on that, but it's so perfectly drawn up and well executed. You have the entire defense floating toward the you know strong side of the field and Wilson's under pressure he takes just enough time right over to Vanette boom first down you're mixing in Doug on some five yards six yards routes when you need them but you're constantly looking at third and short and earlier in the quarter they were short on a third and short and then converted a fourth and one to Carson ended up having a kick a field goal there anyway but then on this certain possession second to last possession of the game third and short Carolina brings a blitz Wilson tries to go over the top to, uh, I think, uh, no, Jaron Brown on a third and three. Can't get it close. Can't get it. And then the fourth and three. Balls to the walls. Onions. Onions, as Raftery would say. He goes for it. All Perkins. 35-yard touchdown to David Moore, working on one of the young uh, rookies of Carolina. I think that ball's still in the air. When he threw that, like... The felt, anticipation, felt it felt like that ball floated forever. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. And you mentioned the the interception reminiscent of the NFC Championship game. That reminded me a little bit of the NFC Championship game as well. Fourth and 10, Hauska walks out there, says, I, can't, I, I, I don't think I can make this field goal. So they go for it. Curse. Obviously a completely different route, right, than, mm-hmm. than that was run. But kind of similar circumstances where he freaking goes for it all. In that situation, instead of just the first down, and got it. Yeah. In exactly the same way. And Moore just looks so calm, waiting for that ball to drop into his arms. I mean, God, what a play. It's a savvy play by Moore because he's not selling that the ball's on its way. Yeah. Poor Carolina corner. uh, Not a good game for him. And he was kind of pressed into duty with an injury early in the game, but they not noticed him. Russell saw that matchup. He knew it was there. He He went for the jugular, man. That's a lot of confidence, and it's a clutch, clutch play of the game. I mean, I, I mean, just, right into the left arm. I mean, the stones of Wilson on that play, and you know, it it was great to see because you know, early in that game, he missed the touchdown throw to Baldwin, yeah, right? Just a little high, which is there. the one play that you want back, right? And the one you thought might come back to haunt Seattle. Yeah. Um, you know, and he he hesitates a little bit. A Fetty gets pushed back into his face, and he overthrows Baldwin, who is so pissed that he was not hit on that touchdown because he was so open. Um, but I mean, more than makes up for it. What a game from Russ. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get in the football back, and then next thing you know, you're facing a third and five, and what does he do? He goes for it all again. I mean, just unbelievable. And and the one, it's my favorite play of the year so far, and trust me, there's a few, even the Carson flip. 
I'm a big fan of that. That was pretty dope. <laughs> but, man, it's when you're a quarterback fan, it is hard not to get excited to see Russell buy time in the pocket. On that third and five, he had to step back. He had to step up. Then he had to backpedal a couple feet, let some trash fall in front of him, stayed in the pocket, waited one more beat, patted it. And, like, buying all that time in the pocket is unlike him, you know, yeah. in terms of his natural ability to Russell make plays spin. outside. Yeah. And he just bought enough time within the pocket and then fired it downfield to, to T-Lock, who makes an exceptional play, beating Munnerlin up the right side. And another huge play on third and five with no timeouts. You don't make that play, all of a sudden the Gano miss is all for naught, and you have to punt the ball back to Carolina and go to overtime. But they made that play, and the way they made it was exceptional. And that's when he knew. Ball game. That was it. All you yep. had to do is wind it down, spike that sucker, get Seabass out there, and knock it home. Yeah. Now, I, there were a couple instances in this game when you go back and watch where you'll see you were expecting maybe the patented Russell spin move that's gotten him into a lot of trouble this season uh, where he just ends up shifting left or right and ends up just kind of moving out of the way and, and just looking a lot more calm. And whether that's just because the offensive line in general is better, so mentally he's not as worried about footsteps, or a combination of that and and him just kind of settling in as the season progresses, I don't know. But it was great to see because those have been drive killers this year, and we didn't really see a lot of that. I mean, a pretty clean game off um, in terms of penalties and those types of mistakes from Seattle. Boy, what a game! Dude, what seriously, a, what I mean, a satisfying I'd... victory for uh, Seahawk Nation and for the Twelves and. And, uh, yeah, everyone. and enjoy it. Don't, uh, I mean, look, this is a team that's that's definitely flawed, but enjoy it, man. They, I mean, they are beating good teams right now, and they're beating them on the road. Now, it's a great win, but you still got five to play. Yep. And four of the last five will be at home, which is a, you know, a nice comfort, even though last year it didn't really matter. <laughs> they needed to play. You still have to go out there and, and take care of business, is my point. So as it stands right now, Got Saints, Rams one, two, Bears three, and Vikings are four with the six, four, and one record in the NFC North. Excuse me, no, Bears are three, and that would make the Cowboys four, uh, leading the NFC East. So, you know, it really depends. You you got to take care of business against the Vikings. That seems like the next big wild card showdown. Vikings, Seahawks, and Seattle, December 10th. I feel like assuming Seattle does what they need to against inferior opponents, which is a big assumption, but... Cardinals, Niners twice. Yeah, hopefully they've learned from what happened last year at the end of the season. Those will be nine wins if you get those three. If you beat the Vikings, you're in, in my opinion. I don't know how you don't get in. Because you have all the tiebreakers. Washington is falling apart. Like, their entire offensive line is injured. They lost Alex Smith. I mean, I don't don't see how they finish the year with more than eight wins. Right. You know? Um... So Seattle will be in in that regard. And who they face in the first round, who knows? Could they get lucky face the Cowboys in Dallas? Would that be lucky? I mean, I would rather face them than the Bears. I'd rather face them than the Bears as well. In a road game? Those are your two options. Yeah. Probably face Dallas. I mean, look, we're we're looking kind of far ahead here, but I'm just saying, like, when you think about it. Who would you rather play in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs or the Pats? If you're any team. No, if you're the Seahawks, because we're going to the Super Bowl. Oh, okay. The Pats, of course. Yeah, hell yeah. You want a rematch? They suck. Of old balls Brady. No, man, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, they have a chance to be one of the hottest teams in the NFL going into the postseason, and, I mean, they did what they needed to do, and you and I said it. I can tell the narrative already in January is going to be, oh, the Seahawks, they've got to go on the road for a playoff game. 
They haven't played a true road game since November 25th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. We did we did mention a few weeks ago. Yeah, we mentioned before November, late October, that if you had to pick two games Seattle wins in the month of November, which was a very tough month, which two would you want? And you and I both said, look, if you lose your first two, yes, you need to win the next two, but you you need to beat the Packers and the Panthers because those are two teams in your way. Losses, a loss to the Rams, eh. They've already got the division sewed up, and a loss to a loss to the Chargers. Well, yes, it's a home loss. It's still an AFC team and a good AFC team at that. So they lost to those two teams. They win the next two. And by the way, neither of those losses were bad losses. They were both the, very hard, very competitive losses that you could have won both games. Actually, yeah. So but we did. We said we said that exact thing. They said it's going to be tough because you're going to look up and you're going to be four and five, and it's going to seem like the world is falling. But all you need is to get. The next two, and now you've got all the tiebreakers that you can, and you're six and five back over 500. And lo and behold, that's what's happened. And a Monday night primetime home game against Minnesota. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. It's all coming up, Millhouse. All right, he's Brian Perkins. I'm Chu Danubi. We'll be back later in the week to preview Seahawks and Niners in week 13 action as December is right around the corner. Finally, here, Seahawks are six and five. Playoffs are in their sights. We'll talk about the stretch run coming up later in the week. This is the Game Plan Podcast, 1029thegame.com.